Welcome back once again to the Converge podcast, where we seek to help you have a Christian worldview in a non-Christian culture. My name is Steve. My name is Nate. And this time we are going to talk about the issue of kind of how to think about the tone that you take when you're dealing with uh, different issues, different types of people. Um, I know that when uh, we were in seminary, we learned what was called the meta-theoretical question, and it's what's appropriate for this particular person at this particular time with this particular situation. And as those three things change, so also does our approach um, with dealing with whatever of those three things is changing. And I think people struggle really to apply that just in general, but specifically with the tone that you take on any given issue, people struggle to understand uh, that there e- there are times when you're going to have to take different tones uh, with different types of people, with different types of issues at different types of times. And uh, I know for us, we have uh, received the backlash of people that have not appreciated our tone over the years. I think uh, I've certainly uh, caught a lot of public, I guess you could say, scrutiny over that. You've probably uh, faced some of that where your online uh, stuff is concerned. Um, But it's kind of like people turn into the tone police. And I think today what we actually want to address more so is the issue inside of the church, um, kind of inside of what would be referred to as evangelicalism. And that is there seems to be a great tone police Mm -hmm. that gathers around, especially as our times are increasingly getting polarized um, you know, you don't just have, uh, you know, right and wrong anymore. You have different shades of right and wrong, different uh, kind of issues within that. And we're going to talk specifically about an article that um, a, a bright guy named James Wood uh, talked about. And he really dealt with the issue of winsomeness uh, and the fact that winsomeness is often a cover uh, for what what we would call cowardice. But inside of this, he, he's talking more so about not understanding that there are different audiences that you have to keep in mind uh, when you're talking about any specific issues. And when we're talking about public issues specifically, we have to use uh, different tones with different categories of people. Yeah. If you use uh, the same tone all the time, uh, ultimately you're going to end up distorting the truth. Because if you've got someone who is aggressively uh, attacking the truth, attacking the church, and you use a soft, gentle tone with that person, you're not protecting people. You're not helping that person who's in error. And so like you're talking about with the tone police, the tone police wants us to be you know, gentle and calm at all times for all reasons. And that's not, it's inappropriate to the situation. And so what we want to do with this podcast is kind of talk through the different categories of situations and people where we should have different tones. Yeah, and I love the, the era that we're in right now is, is that you could deal with an issue and someone will admit you're factually correct. Everything that you said is absolutely true. Um, so there's no error, but they will treat your tone as though it's more important than that. So the substance of an argument isn't even what we have to deal with anymore. Yeah. We don't deal with substantive issues. Now we just deal with tone. And I think the, the biggest argument that I see isn't even really, even though we have dealt with it inside of the church, it's, it's really the, the big issue is leadership. You have pastor to pastor issues where I think the the biggest beef that uh, anybody, uh, whereas pastoral friends are concerned, they, they have with us and the ministry and the postures that we take, 
um, is that they don't appreciate our tone. Yeah, people say it's not what you said, it's just how you said it. Yeah, yeah. which to, to me, it's like, you know, th- there's a, a time and place where I understand that. But yeah. when over and over, that's your only response, because yeah. it does seem to be the only response for many right. people, that is a huge problem. Part of what we're doing here is walking that up, because it is true, and we'll get to this, but if you're dealing with sheep and you always have a harsh, strong tone, that can be inappropriate. The problem is when that's your only baseline all and the you time. And you can appeal to many forms of natural revelation to understand that the Bible teaches us this, but just life in general teaches that you simply cannot use the same tone all the time with every situation, with every person. Not only can you not do that, but no one actually does that. And so those that would advocate and say, well, you need to use a soft and gentle tone in every situation, pastorally speaking, you yourself uh, don't follow that. Uh, because the same people that will, and of course, we, we we come from a presupposition into this as very conservative people. And so they do not take this when they are constantly punching right. They only take yeah. the soft and gentle route with with those that would be on their left. And usually what we advocate for is that those are actually the people that you need to use the harshest tone for. Yeah. So we need to have a certain tone for wolves. Need to have a gentler tone for sheep. But one thing that James Wood article did that was very helpful, and we're going to get there uh, in this podcast, is that there's also another category of fool. Uh, a fool is someone who's not intentionally trying to hurt people, but nonetheless, they end up hurting people through their ignorance. Yeah, not everybody is a sheep or a wolf. It's not yeah. that cut and dry. Right. Those are clear examples in Scripture that are used because one of the great metaphors and the overarching theme of Scripture is the the theme that God is the shepherd and that there are under shepherds that are leaders that are given to the church of Jesus Christ. Christians are sheep and need to understand them. And then wolves can come in and do great damage to the sheep. And so that analogy, though, is not exhaustive, that the scripture right. does have different categories for different types of people. And one of the great categories the scripture has is the category of a fool. And that when you understand that the category of foolishness isn't someone that's necessarily trying to do harm, but you need to understand that fools do even accidentally do harm, which is why you have to be on the lookout for them. Yeah. And the worst thing of all is leaders who are fools. And mm-hmm. so that's that's really one of the reasons why I want to do this podcast is to get to talk to talk about that for a good deal. But this whole topic of having different tones for different situations, different people, I do think it's helpful for understanding our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you come into this podcast and you think this podcast is only about guarding the sheep, well, you're not going to really understand the tone all the time. But a lot of the reason for this podcast is to speak to all three of these categories. And so I think this conversation will be helpful for that. Yeah, and it, understand right off the bat that it takes a tremendous amount of discernment to know the difference between yeah. a fool and a wolf. It's not always easy to gauge what the difference is, but the scripture leads us to be weary of both. The scripture doesn't just say, because I think one thing that I see people falling into, and these are people in my life, is let's just take the easy one. It's the prosperity gospel. Um, it's that, you know, you, you identify a wolf, prosperity gospel teachers are wolves, and so they're always on the lookout for people in the prosperity gospel for those wolves. That is great, but are you able to apply that discernment over an entire host 
of different theological issues where harm can be done, not just with the prosperity gospel, but over a host of issues that we're actually dealing with more today than we are dealing with. Proverbs 18.2 says that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. And so understand that that right there gives us kind of a measuring line where we can see that this person is not necessarily trying to influence people, but will necessarily influence people by the fact that they just don't care. They are apathetic towards the things of the truth. They don't want to learn anything. This would be kind of the classical person that's unteachable. And one of the measuring guidelines that I give anybody that wants me to invest in their lives is, are you teachable? If I find somebody's not teachable, then I'm not going to invest in you because you're not going to learn anything. I'm ultimately going to waste my time. And actually, when you just seek to express your own opinion, it's almost like the fool gives himself an out. It's like, oh, I'm not trying to influence people, but yet they're constantly the person that's sharing a foolish viewpoint most of the time, or they're constantly looking at people who are trying to guard the sheep and being like, why are you doing that? That's not that big of a deal. Why can't you just be nicer? Why can't you just, you know, love everyone? And they don't have good definitions of kindness. They don't have good definitions of love, and they don't want to know any good definition. They just want life to stay at the status quo. And scripture would actually say, that you are a fool. But when leaders, people who are appointed into leadership, struggle with the issue of foolishness, and I think that's kind of the pandemic in church leadership of our day, is just this incompetent foolishness where they're not trying to grow, they're not trying to help, they're just trying to maintain something. They're doing it with foolishness. And the reason that you have to be on the lookout for this is because of the great damage that can be done. And that's the reason why we have to have a tone appropriate to Absolutely. that. And that, that comes out in the podcast a lot. So I think what was going to be helpful is just to go through these categories, uh, sheep, wolf, and fool, mm-hmm. and talk about them and uh, see where we go from there. Yeah, and, and the, the article that we're talking about is going to be linked in the in the Put notes below of, of this uh, either the YouTube video or the podcast. And I do want kind of to to give the vision, though, that I'm not going to line up with James Wood entirely. And so I'm going to give a little bit of a different understanding that I think comes from what I believe to be a, a better perspective. But let's go ahead and start with sheep. Go for it. Um, there are two kinds of sheep that James Wood points out. He points out that there are believing sheep, and of course, these are Christians. Uh, for our purposes, we're going to look at this as the church member or the person that acts like a church member, because not everybody is a church member uh, that is a Christian, and we, we know that. Now, church membership means that the church has affirmed your faith, but if you're someone who's very committed to the local church, if you're someone who has put themselves kind of under the leadership of a pastoral team at a church, you are a believing sheep. And he kind of gives a, a different viewpoint where he says there are also sheep that are currently unbelievers. And this is what uh, Jesus would say is the lost sheep. This is someone that uh, isn't a fool. This is someone that isn't a wolf. This is someone that's genuinely seeking um, what I would call faith in Jesus Christ. This is someone who's genuinely learning. This is someone who is an unbeliever, but is inside of the life of the church or even kind of on the perimeter of the church through whether it be relational evangelism, whether it be just, uh, you know, you kind of coincide um, alongside other Christians. And we don't really talk about that context, but the point Wood makes in his article is that some unbelievers should be treated like sheep 
because they're going to be believers in the future. And I think that is a helpful category because this really is the missional instinct. I yeah, guess you yeah. Say. You see that Acts eighteen ten. I don't quote the whole verse, but Paul says, "There's many in this city who are my people," and he's talking about people who don't yet know Jesus. But Paul knows because of the sovereignty of God. There's people there, and, and he has people in mind too. Like he, he knows yeah. he's going in. He's going to go to the synagogue. He's going to go out from there. He's saying there's sheep there. Yeah, and Scripture is constantly kind of negative for towards fools and wolves. Um, but if that's all the only categories for unbelievers that you have, you're never going to evangelize anyone. Yeah. Uh, because Scripture tells you to not have anything to do with fools. Don't surround yourself with fools. Get the fools out of your life. You know, get wolves certainly outside of the life of the church. But there's also this intuitive and even kind of explicit category that the church gives, especially in places like 1 Corinthians 14, when it tells you that when you're orchestrating a worship service, you need to keep in mind that there yeah. are going to be unbelievers among you in the gathering and that you need to kind of uh, order your service in such a way that it makes sense to them. Yeah. Well, that's a category, missionally speaking, of an unbelieving sheep, someone that is going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, but right now they are not showing fruits of salvation. You can tell the difference too when you're talking to people. Yeah. I mean, even when you're, you're talking to a neighbor, you can tell the difference between a neighbor who, you're not even fighting with them, but you just know they're antagonistic to the faith. They have a very antagonistic worldview. I mean, you still hope that they could become a believer one day, but then there's a difference between a neighbor who doesn't really understand the gospel, but is interested, mm -hmm. is interested even in the things of the church. You need to treat that person as if I expect because of my relationship, they're going to become a believer. Yeah. And, and I'm going to shock everybody right now because this is what I think Tim Keller was helpful <laughs> in was, but the problem is, is that he nullified the fool and wolf category and he wanted to treat the entire world right. as though <laughs> they were unbelieving sheep yeah. when that's not what scripture is. That's reducing scripture down. But in his kind of what I believe was a flawed mentality, he did help in understanding how do you order your life in such a way so that you can reach the unbelieving sheep. And I think he was extremely helpful in that. And he kind of, you want to tone in that with somebody where it's not necessarily just a harsh corrective tone, but rather it's a tone of you're missing out on faith yeah. in Jesus Christ. Look at the wonderful fruit that following Jesus Christ can give you. Look at the joy that Christians have. You want to be a part of this, and so you yeah. need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's an appropriate tone to take with an unbeliever who's interested to faith in Jesus Christ because it's going to be effective. It's going to bring that person to faith. Now, the issue is having the discernment to understand that with a fool, that's not going to work. With a fool, the only thing that's going to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ is harsh correction. And so yeah. you need to know the difference in those categories, yeah. and you just want to give these people the gospel. Yeah, I think another thing James Wood does a good job of is talking about refugees from the culture. He's not the only one talking about that. But we should expect and be looking for, when you see the just LGBT insanity, the gender insanity, uh, you see a person who sees that, knows that's not right, <laughs> doesn't want that for their yeah. kids, begins to seek. They could be, be in the category of unbelieving And this sheep. is why I say Tim Keller's uh, kind of missiology <laughs> was so deeply flawed. Yeah. It, and it was so interesting about those that would be a kind of third way guys that are just more a little left of center. Yeah is that they only engage 
people on the left yeah. as though they are unbelievers. Right. They don't understand that there is a host of people on the right that through whether it be natural law, whether it be that they were raised in a church and have kind of a quasi-commitment yeah. to the morality, to the ethic of Scripture, they see what's going on in LGBT insanity. They hate Marxism. They understand that CRT is terrible. They they hate tyranny. And so COVID was really a wake-up call for them. And these people are going to gravitate towards the Church of Jesus Christ, which I which you know we believe takes the right posture on this, at least faithful churches yeah. do. And they come in. That's an unbelieving sheep. We need to understand that there's got to be a category, and we've always had this category, but I think this is what third wayers don't realize is that when you are conservative, both theologically as well as culturally, as, as we necessarily are, you understand that there are a host of people that will line up with you on every issue, but they don't have faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so you need to be able to look at those people and treat them just as winsomely, really more winsomely, because they're easier to communicate yeah. as you line up with on a host of issues, on the issue of the gospel. And that is what third-way philosophy is incapable of doing. But I do want to say one thing to keep in mind on this with unbelieving sheep in our culture is that they very well kind of have this line that even in conservative realms between unbelieving sheep and fool, that is difficult for us to understand. Uh, it requires discernment because there are times when even people that would line up with us on a host of issues, they are still fools. And I think one yeah. category that we saw really recently is there is an atheist uh, who's been extremely helpful in exposing woke issues, Marxism. He's been a great combatant where cr uh, critical race theory is concerned. Um, his name's James Lindsay. And so many, many Christians, many people on the right have kind of lined up with him to fight it. But the thing I always wanted people to keep in mind is that the scripture says it's the fool that says in his heart there is no God. Right. And so you can't treat someone who is outside of the flock as yeah. though they are part of the flock. And I think this was the folly that many people had uh, with some atheists who were co-belligerents, yeah. kind, of, kind of category Francis Schaeffer coined where woke ideology is concerned. And just recently, it's kind of reared its ugly head where James Lindsay began to combat things that Christians and Orthodox historic Christianity that yeah. we're going to hold to to the death and we're not going to move. And it's because even though kind of people were treating him as an unbelieving sheep, that's not the right category yeah. for anybody that would say I'm an atheist. If somebody kind of combats you on the origins of humanity, on some of the most important fundamentals of the faith, you have to understand that even if he's helpful in one issue, you have to have the discernment to understand he's an out-and-out -out fool. And it's going to be to the detriment of a lot of people in dealing with him. So just because someone is conservative right. does not mean they are sheep. Absolutely. You have to have discernment there. And that that is a very real danger, especially as we are looking for refugees from the culture. We ought to be looking for them. We ought to be giving them the gospel. But if they don't understand the gospel, if they don't profess it, don't assume they're fully on your side because that's a dividing line there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sheep need to be warned about the real dangers that they are facing. And of course, people have come to, come to expect us to do things like that. And this means that for the tone for sheep 
isn't always going to be optimism and rainbows. No, I'm talking know? even about believing sheep. Yeah, even, yeah. even with believing sheep. There are going to be times when believing sheep need to be corrected with a harsh tone. Yeah. Now, it's it's the tone, and this is where the difference between judgment and discipline comes in in Scripture. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has no more judgment for you, but the New Testament, the book of Hebrews specifically, is very clear that he is going to discipline you, but the posture that he takes is the discipline of a father. Uh, Psalm 23 is very helpful when it says that the good shepherd has to make the sheep lie down in green pastures. And so often sheep need a stark warning so that they understand real danger. Yeah. Uh, we do see this in the church <laughs> a lot where because people assume they need to have a gentle tone with sheep, that ends up meaning they never warn sheep about mm-hmm. danger. They're always pleasant. And even even when they don't think they're addressing sheep, just the message from church leadership, the message from the pulpit is always everything is awesome. Everything is great. Our life is great. There's no nothing to be concerned about out there. That's not a proper sheep tone. Well, and plus, it's a form of even subconscious antinomianism. And so this is where a lot of guys have, have fallen for the ruse that pastors should uh, only ever take the tone that Mr. Rogers <laughs> took. And it's just such a, a foolish idea because it's like if you, with your children, never take a stern tone, you're doing a disservice to your children. That yeah. tells me that you're never correcting them. Yeah. Mr. Rogers wasn't a father. Mr. Rogers was a character on a television series. And so he never had to take a stern tone. But I can tell you as a father and and having a wife who's a mother in our house, we take a stern tone with our children and we do it because we love them, because we have to warn them of dangers that are ahead in their lives that they need to avoid. And if we don't take a stern tone, they won't understand how serious the warning is. And there are a lot of times... When sheep, even though they are ultimately not antagonistic, the shepherd's direction for care, though, is one of warning, is one of what, and this is a category in scripture called exhortation. And some people have the gift of exhortation. It it is a way of correcting in a pushy way, because to exhort someone means to push them forward. But not everybody wants to be pushed forward, and it's just this idea, and Larry Osborne talks about this in one of his leadership books, where sheep aren't always going to like what you're doing for their benefit, what you're doing to help them, what you're doing to protect them. But the loving shepherd has the discernment to know when you have to make the sheep do something for their own good. Yeah. Now, with the sheep, uh, you do often want to have a tone of encouragement, of of tell. I mean, here's here's the thing. One, no, the church shouldn't always be saying everything is awesome. We have to point out real situations people are going to face. But we should be saying you're going to make it. Like God has you. God has us. We're going to get there. Well, that's what that's that's the beauty of exhortation is because you're not pushing someone forward so that they're going to fall off a cliff. Yeah, you're pushing someone forward so that they'll grow. Yeah. you're pushing someone forward so that they'll endure. Uh, because I think it's one of those things. Whereas when Scripture says, "Be still and know that I am God." It is not a statement of, okay, sit still, be stagnant. No, it really is more an exhortation when you see it, especially in the book of Exodus, when Moses is saying it to the people of Israel, he's saying, don't go backwards. Don't go back to Egypt. There's there's nothing back there. And so Moses is really using that as a moment of exhortation. In other words, God is going to do something and then we're going to move. 
And so a good shepherd constantly knows what type of encouragement and tone that the people of the church need. And this really is where church discipline comes in. Most church discipline is firm, but also gentle in the way that that it is. Um, Church discipline is often a fearful thing for some people because here's the deal. Some people have seen it bad. If you you go to a church that has a a tyrant pastor who's just constantly uh, beating down the sheep all the time, and I'm just going to say that in a verbal sense, not in a physical sense, but sometimes I guess it does happen in a physical way. But that that guy doesn't understand the different tones of parenting, the different tones yeah. of fatherhood, because most church discipline is not corrective but formative. And even in Matthew 18, when it goes through the personal confrontation, the get a witness uh, confrontation, then pastoral confrontation where the church as a whole comes around that person, the hope is never to kick them out. Right. The hope is always restoration. Even when dealing with an issue of church discipline, uh, the Apostle Paul in, in um, Galatians tells them to restore them gently. You, you can't be harsh on a person forever and yeah. expect them to excel. There's an assumption there, too, with the sheep that they're going to be responsive to that. And that's really one key thing with the sheep is you have a tone of, I expect that when I point this issue out, you're going to say, oh, thank you. Let's let's get to the bottom of this. Yeah, even in First Corinthians 5, when he's dealing with a, a, a real perversion, the kind right. of stuff that we <laughs> deal with today, just something that, and he even says, the Apostle Paul even <laughs> yeah. looks at them as like, this is, this is a type of perversion that even unbelievers don't, don't even do. How, how, how could you be doing it? The way that he even instructs them is like, hey, you need to give this guy over to Satan so that he might repent. And so it's always with this idea of pushing forward, always with this tone yeah. of restoration. And so that's how we need to think about the sheep. Yep. And so, I mean, to further that example uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, even you have that stark thing where Paul says, you know, don't even associate with unbelievers with uh, people who claim Christ but are, are doing immoral things. And we often think about the the issue of who we shouldn't associate with. But also notice how Paul's dealing with the sheep. He's mm-hmm. trying to help them out. He's having to be very stern, but he's saying, hey, you go down that road, you're in big trouble. You need to come back over here, get away from those who are drawing you astray. And I, and I would say, I don't even think in 1 Corinthians 5, I don't think he's dealing with a wolf. I think what he's doing is he's saying you shouldn't associate with a fool. Yeah. This is a guy that's bringing destruction on his own head, but he still puts out hope this guy can come to faith in Christ, which wolves are never treated that way. Yeah. But he is telling the sheep, hey, get away from the fool. Yeah, so stern warning there. All right, so wolves. Uh, this next category um, is one that I think is the easiest to understand, but is rarely uh, dealt with well in churches. Yeah. Because scripture is just clear. You put wolves out. You don't entertain wolves. You identify them. You have nothing to do with them. You take them out. Yeah, I like the old uh, Driscoll adage. Driscoll used to say, we shoot wolves. Yeah. Um, if, if And this, this, of course, is a farming analogy, but if you've got a wolf that's going into your chicken coops, going into the hen house, he's not going in there to take a nap. He's going in there to eat your chickens. He's yeah. going to eat them all. And so the only way to to deal with a wolf is not going to be uh, to kind of pet him, to kind of just comfort him and say, hey, buddy, you know, you need to get out of here. Yeah. No, you take the shotgun, you take the twenty two, whatever have it, and you eradicate the wolf from the earth. And so, and I'm, of course, I'm using an analogy here. 
But when it comes to the life of the church, there is no more severe response in Scripture than dealing with wolves. It says to be on the lookout, and you're going to have to get them out by any means necessary. The wolves are genuinely evil people, and I do think that's why some people struggle with this, because they don't want to believe anyone's evil. Mm-hmm. But that's just a biblical worldview. Some people Jesus are evil. Jesus says that they're they are so cunning that they know that, that they need to put a shepherd's clothing. Yeah. Or, you know, he calls it a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. But if you look at the original language and you look at the analogy, that is what shepherds would do. Shepherds wanted to identify with sheep. So a lot of times their cloaks would have wool on it. And the way that a, a false shepherd would do, which is a wolf, is that he would come in and he would put the wool on and he would lead the sheep astray. And the scriptures do not label these people as just dumb. Right. They're smart. The difference. They're satanic. And this is where we really need to understand what's going on in our society today is that when you can't explain something by reason, and there's a lot of stuff going on out there in society yeah. right now where companies are literally willing to lose billions of dollars rather than eradicate perversion. They're not doing it because of reason. They're doing it because of demons. They're doing it because of demonic influence in their lives. And so wolves have great relational skills and can influence and gather people at various different levels. That's one of the ways you can tell someone's a wolf because they're seeking influence. They're seeking leadership. They're smart. You can tell they're not just a dummy unless they're pretending to be, but even then you can tell Mm -hmm. that. Um, And that's really one of the defining characteristics is if you know this person's smart but is still doing things that either don't make sense or are clearly uh, leading people astray, then you can start to see that's a wolf. And I think, you know, just so that people know, we, we've had wolves oh, uh, yeah. over the years at our church. And the way that we have handled it is, is that we eradicate it immediately. And the way that you do this is that you can even, to not make a huge you know, spectacle out of it, is you rem- if you remove any potential influence, to, to influence, from those people, yeah. they will flee. They do every single Almost, time yeah. because they know that you've got their number. I was, I was cautioned very early in ministry that whenever you have uh, someone of a certain age who's always buttering you up, who's always seeking to kind of get on your good side, you need to be careful because that's what Satan does. That's what the enemy does. And so not that anybody that says anything nice to me, I just kind of get them out of, get them <laughs> out of there. But rather, you just kind of learn to identify the patterns of the wolf and that they don't do things in a way that makes a lot of sense, whereas discipleship is concerned, but rather they do everything they can to garner influence. So you have to look out for people that are immediately trying to influence you in any direction. Because someone who is really coming in with good motives, they don't act like that. There's a way that sheep act, and it's not that. So you have to constantly be on the lookout. And Scripture has a lot to say about wolves. Why don't you read some of those for us? Yeah, uh, John 10, 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd... Who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. It's talking about pastoral leadership. And I love that, I love that text because it doesn't. Ju- it, it's not really the subject isn't the wolf. Yeah, it's pastor. Subject's the pastor, and there's a big difference between a hired hand and somebody that really loves the sheep. 
is that when the hired hand sees problems coming, the hired hand gets out. The hired hand runs for the hills, looks out for himself. That's not the calling of a pastor. A pastor's got to get his hands dirty. To the topic of our podcast here, a lot of that often has to do with tone. Absolutely. The hired hand wants to keep that gentle tone with the wolf because it's sometimes it will get pushback. And this is also a warning for other pastors and that we know that, that are, we know they watch the podcast. And I want you to understand, are you a hired hand or are you a shepherd? Because your willingness to get yourself in trouble sometimes yeah. shows yeah. the difference. Your willingness to get your hands dirty sometimes shows the difference. And if you continuously are worried about currying favor with anyone and everyone all the time. If you're scared to death that people are going to leave your church, you're a hired hand. You're not a shepherd. A shepherd looks at his sheep and says, even if it costs me, I'm going to do the right thing for the sheep. I'm going to love the sheep no matter what is required, no matter what it takes. And so pastors, are you a hired hand or are you a shepherd? And be honest with yourself on that. But the key is, if you find that you're a hired hand, you need to do one of two things. You need to either quit or you need to change. Those are your two options right now. Do not be a hired hand. Acts 20, 28 through 30. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's, there's a real danger there. And yeah. we've seen this happen throughout history. I mean, even with heresy, some, somebody comes in and kind of as a wolf presents a new teaching seeking to give influence and they draw the disciples away. Interesting thing here is sometimes wolves, because they are cunning, they wait a while. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can identify a bunch right away because they're seeing influence, but some of the smart ones will oh, yeah. sit there and for a while. And this is the thing, we're only human. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I tell people all the time, you can fool me. You can't fool God, yeah. but you can certainly fool me. And here's the deal. If somebody lies in wait over a number of weeks, months, years, we've seen some people wait years before they showed us their true colors. Are you even then, when they've garnered some influence over people, are you willing to do the hard thing and deal with them? Obviously, you know, um, Luke here, when he's writing this, knows this is a legit thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. He's writing about it. And so interesting. It shows the absolute relevance of Scripture in in all times and all categories is that, man, this is just as, as relevant today as it was in the first century church. All right, so Paul, writing to Timothy, talked a bunch about wolves. <laughs> Second Timothy 3, 7 through 9, always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. And just as Janus and John Braze opposed Moses, so these people also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Yeah, it's kind of a, a, a dual reality there where the Apostle Paul trusted the sovereignty of God. He's like, the wolf's not going to get away with it forever, but then also said, you have a responsibility. He's identifying the problem. And I, I've, I, the, I love this text because it's such a clear-cut, applicable text to the issues that we're dealing with in modern times where deconstruction, postmodernism, mm-hmm. uh, critical theories yeah. uh, are concerned, is that now, um, and this, this was a problem with false teachers like Rachel Held Evans before she passed, is that they looked at doubt as a virtue. Yeah. Whenever you're sitting under a Bible teacher, 
that is more interested in giving you doubts and pacifying things that you doubt than they are saying this is the word of God, that's a false teacher. That's that's the example of what the Apostle Paul is, is saying right there. When somebody's, they, they want you to learn so much. You, you need to come. You need to learn from me. You need to hear this. But they never land anywhere. Right. Whenever someone refuses to land, you know that they're not faithful because the gospel is objectively true. Put that in your minds. Always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. Have that in your mind and you will be able to identify wolves. Oh, yeah. And I can tell you the moment that someone treats doubt as a virtue, that's when you know they're a false teacher. So 2 Timothy two sixteen through 18, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will sp- spread like gangrene. Among them, Hamanias and Philetius, who have served, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Interesting here, he identifies direct oh, people yeah. in that church. And this is where people I know that uh, many, many years ago, I uh, I did a sermon where I was naming people. Of course, I do it all the time now. But it's one of the first times that I had had kind of in in the gathering kind of named specific false teachers and people took issue with it. And I was confronted right. by a number of people for it. And I pointed them right here. I was like, the apostle Paul was very specific because you need to be specific in saying this is where it's happening. But also note that he uses the example of gangrene. Do you know the only cure for gangrene is amputation? Yep. You get rid of it. You have to scoop it out. It's a painful process, but the only option is to eradicate the problem or else it's going to spread throughout the whole body. And so you have to know how to treat the issues. So all of this conversation we've had here is this is why you don't negotiate or spend time trying to persuade wolves. Right, you speak in a tone. It's meant to silence them. It's meant to put them out. It's meant to delegitimize them. And that takes a certain tone to do those oh, things. Yeah. It's got to be harsh. Yeah. It's got to be tough. Uh, weak leaders, though, get in a lot of trouble because they want to dialogue with a wolf. Yeah. You, you, you don't do that. Yeah. You don't set up you know, struggle sessions with wolves. And, of course, this is something that I endured um, in the Acts 29 network is, is that it became kind of a critical race theory struggle session. Every single meeting that we had was about trying to introduce this intersectional, even though that they would say that they weren't doing this. And so we, we had kind of an experience with them where it became almost like, you know, we were never landing on anything objective. And so that's always a problem. And the only thing they were trying to breed was doubt within white pastors as to whether or not uh, we had personal, excuse me, not even personal sin to repent of, but historical sin, because this ancestor begat this ancestor begat this ancestor. And every single meeting turned into a struggle session where pretty quickly we began to identify, man, they are dialoguing with wolves here. They are letting wolves wolves into the camp. And here's where pastors need to kind of repent of hubris, is that a pastor, while you are an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ, you are also a sheep of Jesus Christ. And pastors can be led astray. And this is the problem that we have with networks and denominations right now, is that we're actually seeing pastors getting devoured by wolves because they don't want to lose their influence. They don't want to lose their place. A lot of pastors are are becoming foolish sheep 
because where denominations are concerned, a lot of people don't understand this, is that now we don't deal with this because we're entrepreneurs where church ministry is concerned. And so we like to start our own thing. You know, we, we like to build our own thing. But a lot of pastors, they when you go through the institutional aspect of the church, well, you get a church of 100. And then while you're at a church of 100, you, you, you either stay plateaued or if you grow it to 150, well, then you can put your resume out and you can get a church 300. Right. And then after that church 300, if you had any success there, 500, 800, and you just keep moving up those ranks. But what a lot of people don't understand is that within denominational life, because a lot of people will ask, why aren't more pastors speaking out? Because in denominational life, you need the recommendation of denominational leaders to move up the pecking order where church size is concerned. And so pastors, understanding that you are a sheep, you're sometimes open to getting devoured by wolves if you need something from those wolves. And sometimes that recommendation letter or that phone number so that a church can call this influential person and get a personal recommendation for you, that will open you up to being influenced in the wrong direction by false teachers. And so pastors have to look out for themselves because I think pastors even unwittingly, because let's just be honest, past few years, the worst thing that you could be called is a racist. The worst possible thing. But the definitions of what racism are have changed so much over the past few years that so also did people's posture towards the issues. And you had this great fear. And so what happened is, is that these false teachers were critical race theories concerned, these yep. Marxists in disguise, crept their way into denominational life, denominational leadership, then church leadership, and they devoured pastors. Yeah, well, what happened is pastors didn't want to be seen as quarrelsome, didn't mm -hmm. want to be seen as divisive for those recommendations you were talking about. Yeah. And so what they did is said, well, I need to have a dialogue with these people who doesn't sound right, but, you know, I can't just assume they're a wolf. I need to have a dialogue with them. And that dialogue has led to compromise, has led them right in some cases, out of the faith in oh, the worst cases. And, and that's the craziest thing is, is that I'm, you know, we're looking at some people who uh, were influential even in our lives um, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. And they're not even believers now. There's somebody I would, I would look at a couple of these guys. And, um, I don't really feel like dealing with the names right now, but a couple of these guys, I look at them and I look at them and I say, that's not even a Christian. That person is not following Jesus Christ. Um, they're just a wolfish influencer that has led so many people astray for their own benefit. If you're not a hired hand, if you are a shepherd, you don't dialogue with wolves mm -hmm. and you make it clear to the sheep that this is not a person to dialogue with. And that takes a tone. It takes a tone of like saying this is this is a bad person. This is a person with bad intentions. You do have to presuppose someone's intentions. That's a judgment call that Absolutely. pastors have to make. And it's tough. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we're not perfect. Right. We're not Wouldn't impeccable. Yeah. You know, we, we are, we're flawed individuals, but, um, and I would say this for us, we've, we've got some experience, you know, we, we've taken some hits. We've learned a lot of things over the years. We know how to read people better than a lot of other people know how to read people, especially where things of the faith are concerned. And so when somebody comes in, 
it doesn't take much for me to look at you and say, we got to get this guy out of here. We, we, and, I, and that's not going to lead to me sitting down and having a dialogue with you over, you know, the, the fundamentals of the faith or even over the posture that you're taking to influence the church. No, I'm just going to remove all doubt. I'm going to take the ecosystem completely away from you. I've got to get you out of here as fast as I possibly can, because we have to make it clear to those who we are we are kind of responsible for leading yeah. what a wolf is for their own benefit. And so at the highest realms of pastoral leadership right now, you have so many people dialoguing with people who are wolves where the faith in Jesus Christ are concerned, and we got to cut that out. Okay. We've got to stop trying to reach across enemy lines. That's not how you fight the war. That's, that's not what spiritual warfare looks like. Well, this has been the end of part one of a two-part podcast on the issue of different tones for different people at different times, and we hope that it has been helpful. But be tuned, stay tuned and join us for part two.